Yeah. And I don't know. I don't need to be reminded constantly. Like you can tell me in context uh how how hulking his body is, but it doesn't need to be like I stand in his immense shadow as I pay for my coffee. Welcome to All My Friends Are English Majors, the podcast where I, a business major, make my friends, all English majors, read popular fiction with me. Sam, are you an English major? I'm not. I'm very close, though. I'm a computer engineering major, and I have a computer engineering job. So I'm basically, I'm right there. Yeah, you're right there. In defense of you, apparently I've been being too hard on you. Um, according to both my mother and my friends, um, Sam does read. Like, I feel like a lot of men in STEM do not read, and maybe I'm just judging wholesale an entire group of people. But, like, you read. And not, like, of your own accord. You go find your books, and you decide you want to read them, and you buy your books, and you read them. Yeah, and I read, like, there are the kinds of guys in STEM who read a lot, but what they read is, like, the subtle art of not giving a fuck, and, like, a lot of self-help, like, entrepreneur-ish books. Um, I don't really read that. I just read books that I like and that I want to read. I don't really read things to, like, make me better at my job. Sam and I are both not reading things that make us better. I mean, you did just complete like a like three four semesters of schoolwork uh to get better at your job. So Yeah, but I'm not reading I god, if they ever make me read a leadership book. <laughs> like I know that I need to. I know I need to figure out how to be a better leader or at least feel more confident in my leadership skills, but like the idea of reading a book where they're like you should be nice, but forceful. Like, I, uh, uh, I don't, I don't know. Like, sometimes I think reading a book about that would teach me, like, how to inspire people would make me feel like I was, like, the stupidest fucking person alive. Yeah, I, um, I actually just remembered I have, I have read a book like that. It's called The Inner Game of Tennis. Um, I used to play tennis. The last time I played regularly was like sophomore year of high school. Uh, but it is a good sports psychology book. And I did read it to get better at Frisbee. But I, I think it's a good book for anyone who has something that they are working towards getting better at. And uh, they want to uh, optimize the way that they practice for it. I think it's very useful for that. So what I'm hearing is you do read things to better yourself. I've read one book to better myself. <laughs> In the last decade. I've okay. Maybe more than that, but I don't remember. Okay, so for those of you that don't know, this is our comparison contrast episode. So we didn't read a book this week. We instead are going to talk about all the things that we liked in this genre, didn't like in this genre, things that like were done poorly in these books, but can be done well, things like that. But I think we're going to start with, um, 
I wrote in the outline the hating game seven minutes in heaven and then in parentheses hell. Do you think we can talk about what we hated in the hating game in seven minutes or less? Yeah, I'm going to have to remember. Um, I don't have the old outline in front of me, but I remember what I hated about it was that uh, the the woman protagonist was like totally unrelatable and freaky um, and it was <laughs> just kind of awful. And the, the male protagonist was awful, too, and it made it really hard to root for either of them when they were both kind of being creeps and mean to each other pretty much the whole book. Yeah. In this book, they are, like, executive assistants, and they sit across from each other in this office, and it's, like, super shiny at one point. Like, Lucy is thinking about whether or not Josh can see up her skirt for, like, probably a full three pages. Um... They both act extremely deeply unprofessional constantly, which, like, professionalism, I think, is, like, kind of a fake idea in the, like, like, stuck in, like, very, like, ways white people act, et cetera, et cetera. But we're not going to get into all of that. What we're really going to get into is the fact that, like, these two people are so fucking weird the whole book. They're always playing these little games. It's why it's called the hating game, where they'll play the staring game, where they just, like, stare at each other until someone loses. Or what, what was another game, Sam? Uh, the HR game was my personal favorite. It's when they're so awful to each other that eventually one of them actually has to raise an HR complaint. Yeah, and it's it's typically, like... uh. They are, like, sexual comments in nature. Like, they're not always just being mean to each other. Um, but, like, there is there is some light sexual harassment going on. Um, and they kind of just brush it off. The HR rep at one point is like, oh, my God, can you guys please tone it down? You're making me, like, too busy with all of these complaints. Well, and it makes the rest of their coworkers miserable. Like, being around two people who hate each other is miserable. And, like, the whole company reports to them, so it's basically, like, the entire company is children of divorce. It's not good. Yeah, I've worked I've worked in an office for two, two months of my life. It's the current job I have now, but I've been working from home after the first two months I worked there. Uh, and the office was not like this, and it makes me skeptical that the author has spent a whole lot of time in an office like this. Because uh, cause very, like, these books as a whole are not super believable, but this one especially just, like, had very little realism in it as far as, like, the way that the characters interacted with each other. Other things that are bad and freaky in this book, I'm holding up three fingers, Sam, just so you know. Um, One... Lucy has a wet dream about Josh, comes to work, says she has a wet dream, looks Josh all the way up and down, and is like, it wasn't about you. And then she describes the whole dream to him. I'm sorry. I never want a coworker to describe a wet dream to me. Ever. What the fuck? Two. Joshua Templeman paints his room's room blue. The color of Lucy's fucking eyes. Like, he, he tone matches it. it like, he could have taken... A picture from her Facebook page, zoomed in on her eyeball and taken it to Ace Hardware and been like, hey, can you color match this? Like, that's how bad it is. Um, I'm trying to think of a third one. What What was another really fucking bad one? Uh, there is a 
a 14 to 18 inch height difference between them. Yes, yes, yes. She is five feet tall. They talk about it constantly. And she's like, he must be 6'6". Yeah, that part of the book was unbearable. Just like every other page was like, oh, and I'm so short. I'm so short. I can't get anything off the top shelves. This guy, everyone towers over me. Like, move on. Well, and also, like, oh, another thing that's weird is that Lucy's only defining characteristic is that she collects Smurfs. <laughs> like, Smurf figurines. Yeah, she doesn't really have any hobbies. Other, I guess she reads. She, like... I think that's it. No one... Here's a complaint I have about all of these books. Also, we're only four minutes in, and I feel like we've covered the entire book. Um... No one in these books grocery shops. I don't have an issue with that. I don't need to know, like, this is the the classic, like, no one ever goes to the bathroom in a movie. Like, it's, you just have to assume that they do, but it's not interesting. No, 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 no. No, I don't need to see them at the grocery store, but a binary in these books is one of the people in the relationship has groceries and the other one doesn't, and it is a part of of the plot yeah it's always it's weird it's it's like um the women in these book these books always have to be like a little bit helpless in some way and a lot of times the way that that comes across is that like they're not very good at feeding themselves which i think it's kind of weird to to have to do that i really worry in these books, like, there are days of the week that I don't get three square meals a day. Like, sometimes you look at your watch and it's, like, 1.30 p.m. and you're like, oh, boy, guess I'm having a mono meal today. But, like, all of these women in these books are like, oh, I just, like, I I don't know. It's hard to describe, but it is, like, kind of horrible. Like, like... Your flaws as a character, your flaws as a woman, like, trying to figure out how to be in a romantic relationship, or if you want a romantic relationship, or if you even tolerate your coworker, like, your I don't like that all of their lives are intrinsically tied to the fact that they, like, can't take care of themselves and need someone to take care of them. And I, like, I love to be taken care of. like. Last week, I worked till 7 p.m., and I didn't get to Sam's house until 7.30, and I got there, and dinner was on the table, and it was amazing. But, like, usually we make dinner together, or I watch Sam make dinner and offer pithy comments. (laughs) But, like, the idea that these women are all just, like, not eating three square meals a day, like, four or five days a week what the fuck are they doing yeah they're grown-ups it really feels like it's they're hungry it feels like it's just a setup later to be like and he can cook he's the he's perfect he can also cook good like lucy in the hating game is like blown away that uh on what's his name josh joshua can like cook an omelet yeah an omelet shouldn't be like mind-blowing like Making eggs for yourself is is one of, like, the first uh, ways you learn to cook for yourself, I think, for a lot of people. 
And I, I just think a lot of these women are like too successful in their careers and are like too old to just like not know how to take care of themselves. Yeah. Okay, we did it. Seven minutes. We did it. We're done. We never have to talk about the hating game again. Right on. It honestly wasn't even the worst book we read, in my opinion. Do you think the Spanish love deception was worse because it was longer? Yeah, that it really... I wanted to be done with that book so bad. Out of the four books, the Spanish love deception, I like wouldn't have finished of my own accord. I probably could have finished The Hating Game. It's short, like, things keep moving. There's, like, a morbid curiosity in finding out, like, where this cursed relationship goes. Um, yeah. But the Spanish love deception just, it really felt like it had nothing to offer. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, we're gonna start with, I think we can just go from top to bottom. For sure. A main question I have of all of these books is, why is everyone such a freak? Every single one of these men, like, acts like a robot and doesn't communicate well, and then is like, I've been trying to show you for years that I like you. Really? Yeah, I think that part of this is, like, the book has to have conflict and a plot, and it's easy to just make the conflict like miscommunication that's why all of these books have miscommunication it's why like every rom-com has a big miscommunication moment um but the the specific trope of like i've loved you for years and the only way i've been able to show it to you is by like making fun of the way that you make coffee in the office like that i'm not sympathetic to that Being a huge dick is not flirting. Like, being a huge dick to your coworker is being a huge dick. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I get that there's, like, supposed to be a suspension of disbelief here and that it's a rom-com, but, like, I, I find it kind of impossible to understand how... Like, the miscommunication trope is a trope that is, like, inherently necessary in certain romance books. But, like, all four of these books were the exact same book. Yeah, and maybe part of that is, like, the genre we picked is too narrow for people to really, like, get imaginative with. Um, I also wonder uh, how much of these books is, like, the author trying to set up what is like a specific fantasy for some people. Like, I don't, I don't know if you would read this in like, maybe the reason that the, that some people like the whole, Oh, he either like ignores me or is like kind of cold to me, but is secretly in love with me. Is that just like, you know, kind of wish casting for, like this relationship fantasy that you have in real life and you're trying to live it out through this book. I don't know. Cause I, it, I have a hard time finding why it has to happen this way in all these books. I think everyone does probably really like the idea of someone being secretly in love with them. 
Like when I am always asking you if you had a crush on me this summer that we played summer league together. Mm-hmm. But like you also were like normal. Like you weren't a dick to me. And like generally like showed that you could interact with other people. Like in every single one of these books, besides maybe this well, no, in like every single one of them, they the men don't have any friends. Like Adam has one friend. Aaron has one friend. Dominic has no friends because he just moved to a new city. Like there's nothing there none of these men interact with other people that in a way that like tells us that they're not a weirdo. Yeah, and like half of them are like their offices like known dickhead. And if you if you start dating the office dickhead, like that I don't know, that should be a red flag when someone is so disliked by such a large group of people. I will say I think we kind of run the full gamut in terms of like acting a robot and not communicating well as like a good trope and a bad trope. Because, like, Aaron is weird. Joshua is weird. Both of them are truly, like, how don't you know that I like you? Like, I never meant to, like, actually hurt your feelings. Joshua cannot say he never actually meant to hurt Lucy's feelings when she has four legitimate HR complaints against him. But, like, they're both just, like, Oh, I don't know how you could have misinterpreted my actions. Whereas when Olive is like, hey, Adam, you're really being a little bit of a dick. Like, you know, people are scared of you and that you're kind of standoffish. He's like, one, okay, a couple of things with Adam and Olive. One, he's not particularly robotic to her as soon as they kiss and start the fake dating plot. Yeah, he comes off as one of the more normal people in the books we've read. He's friendly, he's nice to her, and when she's like, why are you such a dick to other people, as much as her his explanation is like not one that makes him particularly likable, like he's like, I'm at Stanford for biology, like you're not gonna get a doctorate from here without some fucking academic rigor. Like, we're trying to produce good science, and as much as that's, like, that kind of sucks for the people working under him, and he doesn't seem like he'd be a very good PhD advisor, like, he does communicate that he's like, oh, well, that sucks, and I could try to change it a little, but, like, this is why. Whereas Aaron and Joshua are just like, who, me? Yeah. As if they are not acting like that. Yeah, and Adam in the love hypothesis, like, I can forgive some of the miscommunication because Olive does just, like, lie to him on multiple occasions, and I that's the root of it. Um, yeah, I I thought the love hypothesis was, like, the most readable book. I really like the love hypothesis. I'd like to own it. I thought that X-Talk was pretty readable, too, but I also am a 25-year-old woman. And, like, damn, the feelings she is having (laughs) about her career and her life are feelings that I do be having about my career and my life. Yeah. So, like, 
I don't think it's a reread, but I think the love hypothesis is a reread. I would reread it. I think it's cute. Sure. And the reason I would reread it is the same reason that I read my other favorite fanfics is that it's cute. It takes like two hours and like it's a fully complete story from start to finish. Like, no questions. Just a quick little cute read. That's fun. Yeah. Some of these other books, The Hating Game, The Spanish Love Deception, are not quick, cute reads. But they're also the the two that are getting movies. Well, I guess The Hating Game already has a movie. Um, I don't well, know if we've mentioned, The Spanish Love... I don't know if we've mentioned this in a recorded podcast, but The Hating Game movie is terrible. Do not watch it. Don't even get, like, really stoned <laughs> and watch it. It's not... It's not worth it. There's nothing enjoyable no. about it. And the same director the is doing Spanish... Spanish Love Deception. So Here's the thing. The Spanish Love Deception might get a little less bogged down because we cannot hear Catalina's inner monologue. That's true. <laughs> They'll have to make it quick. Also, it's like, it, it, you know, if it's the same director, I'm assuming it's the same kind of like low budget B movie. So they are going to have to keep it short. Yeah. Do we want to make bets on whether or not, like, they will transition to having sex faster in the Spanish Love Deception than they do in in the Hating Game movie? They had sex really quick in the Hating Game. Way quicker than in the book. Uh, Guys, in the Hating Game movie, she literally takes Joshua Templeman's towel off while she is fully clothed. And probably, would you say less than five seconds later, they are having penetrative sex? Yeah, it's pretty quick. I thought you just meant in terms of the plot. Because in, in the Hating Game book, they're probably like 75% of the way through before they have sex. And in the movie, like, I don't even think we hit halfway. No, Sam, you're wrong. You're fully wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they follow the plot. They don't fuck in the movie until she's at the, at the family wedding. Oh. I have to admit, I... Can't remember large swaths of that movie. It it rolled straight off my brain. That's probably good. It was a movie for what, having a smooth brain for. Yeah, but at the same time, like I just kept wanting it to be over. <laughs> okay. Another trope in all of these books is every single one of them ends up with the guy who is the only one who somehow ends up not being a sexist jerk in the entire office. I actually think that that is too uh, too aggressive in labeling, like, everyone in the office as a sexist jerk. Because I think in, like, each one of these books, there's only one sexist jerk, right? Okay. There's, like, a couple innate. I will... I will adjust my phrasing. Every single one of these men is willing to stand up against, like, systemic mistreatment of women in an office culture. That is true. Like, Adam goes to to Harvard and raises a, helps Olive raise a Title IX complaint against someone he is doing research with. Like, Aaron helps him get that guy... Fired for name. being awful to Greg? Yeah. Uh, 
Glenn. <laughs> he seems like a Glenn, but I think it was probably Greg. I think it was Greg. I don't remember. They're all the same character. Uh, Lucy's boss in the hating game. Uh, Catalina's sexist, uh, the other team manager. Um, uh, I guess maybe just those two. Oh, no, no. Um, Shay's boss in public radio in the X talk. They're all the same guy. I've imagined, like, in my head, they're the same person. Um, and he looks like, um, he looks like the guy who looks like J.K. Simmons, but isn't J.K. Simmons. Mm. Okay, that's not who I... Oh, Sam, you know who I'm picturing? It's the guy who plays Lucy's boss in the movie. Hold on, I have to, I have to see a picture. Oh my god, this is such good podcasting. Well, you'll just cut it out. It's fine. But here's what I'll... Here, let me pose you a question, Sam, while you do some Googling. Oh, Corbin Burnson, who plays Bexley. Okay, that's not who I was picturing. I was picturing a slightly fatter version of uh, the guy from The Princess Bride who plays the poison game. Oh, like short and kind of dumpy? Yeah, yeah, with... I think he's got, like, kind of curly hair. No, I think this is a guy who used to be handsome. I think this is a man who is, like, deeply uncomfortable with the fact that he has aged poorly and thinks somehow it's women being allowed to work's fault. Okay, I was picturing, yeah, I guess I was picturing more of, like, a a man who has been a little, a little bit of a goblin forever. Oh, what about, what if it's just, like, Pete Campbell from Mad Men? Oh, you know, I haven't watched Mad Men. Really? Yeah. That's shocking to me. No, um, this guy looks too I boyish. Interesting. And if you had seen the movie, if you had seen seven seasons of the reason that we won that $120 in trivia one time... You would understand that I think I'm right about it being Pete Campbell. Have you watched all of Mad Men? Um, I haven't watched the final season because it got a little too existential for me yeah. and I was bored. Okay, we're going to watch The Sopranos when we move in. Okay. Okay. So there's two tropes that are, I think, a major part of these books. And I want to talk about the miscommunication trope outside of acting like a robot and, like, communicating poorly. Because that belongs solely to, like, the male characters at the beginning of the books. But there's the miscommunication trope, which happens, like, three-quarters of the way through the book, or maybe 80%. Or, in the case of some of these books, like, 95% into the book, where they're like, ooh, gotta sprinkle in a little more trouble. And then there's also every single one of these books is a grumpy and sunshine book where the male character is just like this thundercloud and then like a cute little woman makes him slightly more bearable to the people around him. Yeah. Do you want to talk about grumpy sunshine first or do you want to talk about miscommunication first? Um, we can talk about grumpy sunshine first because i think i'll have more to say about it but um do you think it could go the other way like do you think that the first person protagonist woman can be the grumpy or is that just like not as fun to read 
I think that she could be the grumpy. I think the issue is these books are for straight women. Or or bisexual women. But probably really not for gay women. I, like, these books are for, like, people who want to read a cute little, like, very stereotypical heterosexual romance. Like, at least in my opinion. Please correct me if I am wrong. And so, like, I guess she could be the grumpy and he could be the sunshine, but, like, I have never read one of these where the book is narrated by the grouch. Yeah, I'm not sure that would work super well. I'd have to see it done. Um, but I have to admit, I am not going to read any books like this ever again, maybe. So. I'll no, Sam, you said you'd be, you said you'd do witchy romance Halloween month with me because you don't want to read Akatar. Oh, I did say that. Okay, Everyone that's get it trending on Twitter. Sam reads Akatar 2023. I, I'm um, not going to have time. I'm not going to have time to do that. Those books are big. I've seen them. They're fast. I told you they're fast. How many pages um, would I have to read in a month? Roughly. Well, that's why I did. Sam, I threw out the idea of you just reading Akatar, and then... When you're like three quarters of the way through, I'll start reading Akatar. We'll finish at the same three. time. Oh my god. And then What? I've read three it before quarters? and I read a lot faster than you. Yes. I get no credit. I get no respect. Here's what really Sam. is happening. Emily has known for a while that this summer I am planning to read War and Peace. Uh translation by richard no it's you told me it was wide and prejudice i said w and p you said wide and prejudice and it was funny it was funny anyways uh emily does not want me to challenge myself with classic novels this summer so she's asking me to read akatar all summer instead um just for for content she doesn't want me to expand my literary experience uh, through Leo Tolstoy's great Russian novel. Okay, sorry, everyone. Big left turn back to Hateful Coworker Romances. Um, did we start talking about Grumpy Sunshine? How did we get on War and Peace? Oh, I said I wasn't going to read any of these books anymore, and then you reminded me that I... I had switched from Akatar to Witchy Romance in October. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, grump, Back grumpy into Sunshine. It. Um, I think it is a relationship dynamic that like works in real life. I don't think that it is uh, necessarily like unrealistic for a book to be written this way, but it is not very fun to read it four times in a row done exactly the same way. I also think that, like, there is a good way to do it and a bad way to do it. I would say that, like, a majority of romances are grumpy sunshine romances. And if you don't know what a grumpy 
sunshine dynamic is it's like quiet taciturn like grouchy dick to his co-workers man falls in love with beloved by all bright sunny smart like everyone loves her sunshiny character and i think there's ways to add depth to it that make it less hating game spanish love deception where like the man is so grouchy he's like irredeemable like at one point in the hating game oh i have to yawn at one point in the hating game lucy stands up for joshua by telling his father that every single person in the office is terrified of joshua that's not a w yeah and it's because joshua like when when their companies did a merger, fired like twenty percent of the workforce. Like that's that's not a redeemable quality. I don't know. I think the love hypothesis did Grumpy Sunshine pretty well, and I think it's because they like gave a little bit of depth to both of them. I think that is potentially why the love hypothesis and the X talk are on the higher end of the books that we read, is because like like the women are flawed. The men are flawed. They, like, kind of work stuff out between each other and I think grow a little bit of people through the miscommunication. Mm. They grow a little bit through the miscommunication and, like, the difference in their personalities and seeing how they interact with others. Whereas in the Spanish Love Deception and the Hating Game, there's, like, no, no one really grows. Like, you never understand why the man was acting that way beyond, like, obsession. Yeah. And for me, the reason that it is easier to read it in The Love Hypothesis is uh, Adam has, like, a friend outside of work that he just acts normally with. And when he's outside of work with Olive, he, like, is totally normal. You know, it's a lot more relatable to see a man written as, like, a grouch at work but is like bubbly and lights up the room and everyone likes him outside of work because that is me uh <laughs> I, am, I think that my coworkers probably think i am such a grouch uh but like you know that's separate from from my personal life and you see that a little bit more with adam and a little bit with dominic where he is like pretty normal with Shay uh, in the X-Talk outside of work, and he's, like, reconnecting with an old friend. Um, they just, they seem like real social people who react in different ways to different situations, like a real person. And uh, Aaron and Joshua from The Spanish Love Deception and The Hating Game seem like weird, stiff mannequins with, like, the mean knob turned all the way up at all times. And and who are so good at sex. That's the other thing. If these dudes are this weird, if they're communicating with people this poorly, they're not getting laid. Like, no. the believability of these dudes being good at sex when their social skills are this poor. Like, being hot 
And I don't know, I did not really sow my wild oats in college, so I don't know. I never went to a frat party where a handsome dude who didn't know how to talk to women hit on me. I don't really think that happened. But, like, these dudes are not getting laid because they were not talking to women in college. You can't have sex if you're not talking to women. I don't know, Aaron Aaron Blackthorne was a, from uh, the Spanish Love Deception, was a D1 football player. So I'm, you know. That doesn't make him good at sex. No, I'm just saying, like, I don't think, like, also, he's, like, rich, and he owns a really nice apartment in New York. My understanding of New York is that if you you want to have sex there, like, you can. Are you saying that Aaron Blackthorne was hiring himself hookers? No, I'm just saying, like, there's so many people there, and it's so dense that, like, if you are very attractive like he is... Like, it it can happen. Okay, fine. I will rescind my statement. Joshua Templeman is not getting laid. No, but Lucy in, in that book is such a freak that, like, her, she is an unreliable narrator in the sex scenes. That's true. Frankly, all of the women in these books are unreliable narrators. I don't trust any of them that much. I find Olive to be reliable. Yeah, well... I think that's why it's the best book, is because it seems the most... Like, no one's that weird. Yeah, she's mostly trustworthy, other than the whole, like, I didn't realize this guy who I have remembered from, like, my first day of grad school. He's been stuck in my mind, even though I, like, didn't see him, but I think about this memory all the time. And I, like, wasn't able to piece it together that it's this other guy with a really distinct look and is, like, famous in the department. If Adam Driver talked to me in a bathroom and I didn't have my glasses on, I would know it was Adam Driver. You'd at least be able to recognize him later. They had a full conversation. This is proof to me that Allie Hazelwood, author of The Life Hypothesis, does not need glasses to see. She does not understand what it is like for the world to be blurry. (laughs) Because, like... (laughs) Well, like, hold on. No, it's you would know. You would no. know. I think that like voices are recognizable. Maybe that's not a universal experience, but yeah, Olive should know. But in her defense, she she had like chemical burns in her eyes or something. Like it wasn't just that she didn't have her glasses. Like, she was having to rinse out her eyes or something. Okay. No, no, no. The reason she was rinsing out her eyes is she was wearing expired contacts. I have worn expired contacts. Yes. Like, I'm sorry. Like, it wasn't... Yeah. This... My B. That is ridiculous. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Strike one for Ellie Hazelwood. Okay, let's talk about miscommunication. So, all romance books are full of tropes. Like, people are not really writing original frameworks they are simply adding depths to frameworks that already exist and putting it in a new setting and and putting it in a new setting with new characters here is my frustration with the miscommunication trope it seems as if these books have the same miscommunication at the same point every single time And it's because in all of these books, there is a fake dating romance, and then eventually they have to miscommunicate about whether or not they like each other. Yeah, and sometimes that's believable. 
And sometimes it's after they've had a very sexual encounter. And afterwards, neither of them, both of them are, are after that, like less convinced that the other one is interested. Which one is that? That's uh, that's the X-Talk. I was about to say the X-Talk I find to be actually better about this. Because they do miscommunicate about whether or not they like each other, but it's early on. Mm. My frustration with the, with the miscommunication about whether or not they like each other is in books like The Love Hypothesis, where Olive halfway through the book is like, I have a crush on Adam, and then Adam hears and she's like, oh, another Adam. See, that's not a miscommunication. That's just a lie. Right. I find lying out of cowardice to be annoying in these books. Yeah. Yeah, I was... Like, that one specifically was frustrating. That one was frustrating. The one I'm talking about in the X-Talk is when they, they go to the cabin and play a little everything but, and then they're both convinced, like, oh, they're actually just looking for something casual when there's, like, a mountain of evidence pointing to it's not that. I don't know. I think the thing that I find frustrating is it feels like sometimes these authors are going through a checklist of tropes they have to hit. And they'll just, like, sprinkle a little extra miscommunication in as a treat. But it's not a treat, and it's superfluous, and it's unnecessary for the plot. Like, there has to be miscommunication in these books, or else... It wouldn't be a fake dating relationship because they both like each other. It would just be a real relationship. But, like, there's, there's, my issue with these books is there's always one too many things. Yeah. In the Spanish Love Deception, the random dad cancer plot. What the fuck was that? Yeah. In the Love Hypothesis, when Olive is like, oh, not you, Adam. What the fuck was that? In the X Talk, Actually, I think that X-Talk had, like, an okay number of plot points besides the fucking dog. Yeah, I didn't like the dog. So, like, yeah, there's just, like, one too many in all of them. And I think it's because they're, like, trying to beef up the book so it's a little bit longer. But it just, like, every single one of these authors, please get an editor. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's some of these really do read like what I assume long fan fiction is like, where the author just kind of like indulges each of their plot impulses without thinking of whether it actually adds to the book or not. It just like is more stuff to write about. Okay, Sam, I'm going to my forbidden tabs and I'm going to tell you. Mm -hmm. I read, am reading, a 465K fanfic, 55 chapters, not yet finished, about Akatar. It's better than A Court of Silver Flames. Better than the actual published book, frankly. Like, people are writing, like, full-ass novels, and they're better than a lot of things that are published. I'm not trying to disparage fanfiction authors, but you have to admit that the editing process is a little less thorough than any book I'm going to read in my hands. 
But that's not true. Like the editing process might be a little less thorough in terms of what's getting published. But I'm telling you that there is so much shit on the internet that is better than every single <laughs> book that we read this month. And I believe that. I'm not, that they're not getting paid a dime for. I get that. I think I'm talking about what I perceive as fan fiction as a whole. Not just like the good stuff that you read. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's true. I don't read the bad ones because I read the description and I'm like, oh, fuck no. Or I read the description, I open it, I see it start with the word I, <laughs> and I just like scroll back. Which I think all four of these okay. books are first person. Brutal. Okay. Do you want to rank the tropes or do you want to do the only good man and rank the men? We could rank the men. I think we should talk about tall and short real quick. And like, okay. So all of these books have height differences that are at least six inches, I would say, ranging up to a maximum of like 16 inches in the hating game. Maybe Lucy doesn't really tell us how tall Joshua is. And, um, I tell you what, some of these books do it a lot better than the other ones. Uh, the love hypothesis is very normal about everyone's height. Uh, and on the complete other end of the spectrum, the hating game is a little bit insane about the height difference. Uh, Joshua is constantly calling Lucy shortcake. She's constantly reminding us how short she is and how tall he is. There is, frankly, a position while they're having sex that if the height difference is that large, couldn't happen. Um, I don't think I have much more on it. Yeah. It, it, there's a good way to do it. And a lot of these books did not. Well, in the hating game and in the love hypothesis, every three pages, they're like, he's big. And in the Spanish just love deception, Lena is also like, oh, he's huge. Like, He's so big. He's so tall. And they're like, like all of these giant hulking menacing men are just apparently everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. I don't need to be reminded constantly. Like you can tell me in context, uh, how, how hulking his body is, but it doesn't need to be like, I, stand in his immense shadow as i pay for my coffee like come on also, <laughs> also like especially with the love hypothesis girl it's adam driver we get he's big yeah we know he's a large man we've seen that image we have he's very wide okay so, in The Only Good Man, we're going to talk about all the men, and then we're going to rank them. I have placed them in what I think is the better order. Um, so, where The Only Good Man comes from is when I lived with my friends in college, we made an Only Good Man bracket, because every time that, like, a famous man would do something, like, vaguely okay, we would be like, oh my god, Barack Obama, The Only Good Man. Oh my god, Harry Styles, the only good man. So now when we rank the men, we're going to decide which of them wins the only good man for the month. What do you think? Start with number four or start with number one? I think that four and three are pretty close. I think maybe we start from the bottom. 
uh, I would have a hard okay. time separating uh, Joshua Templeman from the Hating Game and uh, Aaron Blackthorn from the Spanish Love Deception. They're both. They don't have friends. They're mean at work. Uh, they're just like there's very little personality beyond being like hulking statues of men uh, who are like pretty good at their job, but also in a rude way. I see. I see them so, as very similar. Here are my things that I think makes Aaron better than Joshua. Aaron helps raise an HR complaint for Lena when she is sexually harassed. In comparison to Joshua, who sexually harasses Lucy. Um, I also think that he is, like, a little less of a creep, mostly because he didn't paint his bedroom the color of Lena's eyes. Oof, yeah, that was that was pretty bad. Uh, However, we much must consider... That Aaron, like, coerces Lena into staying in a relationship with him after she panics when she finds out he's going to be her boss. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Whereas Joshua leaves his job when Lucy becomes his boss because they both understand, even though originally they knew one of them was going to quit when... Oh, I guess we didn't well, explain let's, this. Let's be a major clear. plot let's point. Be clear. Joshua was going to be Lucy's boss. A hundred percent. Yeah, that's true. Um, he was better at the job they needed to He done. had an MBA um, from like Harvard. Yeah, that's true. Um, he quits. Not because he couldn't stand the idea of Lucy being his boss, but because he understood that they could not be in a relationship. And have one of them be the direct, like, supervisor over. Like, that's bad. That's, you cannot do that. Yeah. So maybe I'll put Joshua above Adam. Above who? Sorry, above Aaron. That was not a slip up on me. Uh, Emily has written Adam Blackthorn on the, uh, the outline here. Let me. In my defense, <laughs> the last time I worked on this outline, was two weeks ago when I was under the impression that both of the men were named Adam in both of the books. Yeah, I have a, I, I just have a hard time ranking those two. I think they're both. I, I don't like either of them, but for slightly different reasons. Um, I think we both have the same pick for number one and number two. So, the best man we think is Dominic because he is normal. And he is in no way a superior to Shay. Yeah. That's kind of the whole thing that puts him at the top of the list, is in no way is he up the food chain at a company from the female protagonist. Yeah, and he's, like, generally well-liked by everyone in the book. Like, the people at the office seem to enjoy his company. He's not mean to anyone. Shay's just, like, jealous of him uh, because he's, like, kind of annoying about having a master's from Northwestern and he's young and is like being successful, uh, which is, it's mostly on her as far as why the perception of him at the beginning of the book is so bad. Whereas um, Adam Carlson 
I think. Right? You've just written Adam Driver. I'm trying to remember the real name. I think it's Adam Carlson. His last name is Carlson. He, like, isn't liked by many people, except for for his two friends, one of who is um, really manipulative and a, like, sexual harasser, um, who he eventually, like, stands up to and and cuts out of his life. But... Mm -hmm. But there's really nothing bad to say about Dominic. He likes chihuahuas. I'm going to have to count that against him. Um, He does go back to working for a man who fired Shay essentially for not being a man. However, as we said in the last episode, in his defense, I don't know if I could quit my job for ethical re- reasons if it was my first job out of college, breaking into a very difficult career field. And he is looking for a way out. He is looking for a way out. He also has a master's degree from Northwestern, which means he has so much student debt. So, like, I think he makes, like, really human decisions, which makes him also, I think, one of the better men in these books. Because everyone else is making fucking weird decisions. Dominic has, like, Like, real flaws. Like, frankly... Yes. Like, flaws that you're like, oh, this is forgivable and human. Yeah. Here's what I'll say about Adam. He is, like, one of the less weird men in these books. But he still agrees to fake date a student that he has a crush on. That's bad behavior. bad behavior. And Dominic doesn't really even agree to fake date. He is, they're forced into it. Yeah. Okay. We have three things to rank. Which book had the best Grumpy Sunshine plot? How how am I defining this? Who's the most grumpy versus the most sunshine? No, like, which one did you read and you were like, oh, this is the cutest? Uh. Have I stumped you? Maybe. I think that every single... I think that both Grumpy Sunshine and Height Difference go to the love hypothesis. Yeah, like, I, I guess because if you just asking me, like, which of the romance plots was written the best, I'd have to go with the love <laughs> hypothesis. I think that's what you're getting at with the best Grumpy Sunshine. Because they're all Grumpy Sunshine well, relationships. Yeah. I think they do the best job with the Grumpy Sunshine plot in The Love Hypothesis because, like, both of them are bearable to the people around them. Like, even Adam is bearable and tolerated and, like, yeah. I think it's the best one. Okay. Uh, Best height difference? Yeah, I have to go with Love Hypothesis again, because it's the most normal. It's not, like, shoved in our faces a million times an hour. Well, we also get to experience Adam being huge. Like, if you are a 5'8 woman, you can still climb Adam Driver like a tree. And, like, that's what women want. Whereas, like... But, like... You wouldn't, like, walk past them on the street and be like, holy shit, that's that picture of Shaq and his tiny girlfriend. hmm Yeah. It's, it's... Like, you get the best of both worlds here. Yeah. Normal-sized couple. Huge dude. Sure. 
What is the, which book did you think had the least painful miscommunication trope? Uh, did the Spanish love deception have a whole lot of miscommunication? Um. I don't remember any miscommunication being like really frustrating. They just like weren't really being super honest with each other from the beginning. And that's about it. The other books kind of frustrated me. Yeah. Oh my god, can't believe we ranked Spanish Love Deception number one at something. It could have used more miscommunication. <laughs> miscommunication would have been better than the, like, wooden, like, I see you don't trust me yet. Don't worry, I'll change that. And then he, like, doesn't change the way he's acting at all. Yeah. Uh, okay. I've got something to rank. Okay. Um, if these four books one were on your shelf... Which one of them would have uh, the most worn one piece in the spine? Which uh, which one's got the chapter you're going back to the most? Damn, this is a lot of dead air. I'm thinking. I think it's the love hypothesis. I think I could, I gotta agree with that too. I would probably be rereading from. Basically, like, when she gets to the science conference to the end of the book. Gotcha. Like, I don't know. I, not to be like, I don't read just smut, but, like, <laughs> I gotta have a little plot to go with it. Okay. I'm just asking you to grade the smut. Um... Love Hypothesis, Spanish Love Deception, X-Talk, Hating Game. Okay. I might I might flip X-Talk and Spanish Love Deception, but otherwise, I think I can I think you got focused. I think if we have to think about what led to the smut, then the X-Talk is better than the Spanish Love Deception, because the Spanish Love Deception, it's, like, so, like, oh, and now they're fucking... Mm -hmm. Because they're just, like, really horny, but they don't even really like each other. But, like, I think you got a little focused on semantics of language, whereas <laughs> I think, like, generally, it was, like, good. Like, okay. that was fairly well-written smut. Fair. I was taken a little bit out of it by the vocab chosen. I could tell. <laughs> okay. Do you want to do Rex first, or do you want me to do Rex first? I think you should do Rex first, because I can't recommend anything in this genre. Because I haven't read it. Well, then you should do Rex first so that I can do the actual Rex afterwards. Bit first, seriousness afterwards. Okay. And I should I should point out these are not bits. When I recommend something, like, I mean it. Uh, I can't recommend Dune enough. Uh, <laughs> I really want to stress, though, if you're going to read them, only read the ones that are written by only Frank Herbert. Don't read anything by Brian Herbert, his son. His sellout, cash-grabbing son, who's written, like, 20 more Dune books. Uh, Dune 1 through 4 by Frank Herbert are really good. I like them a lot. They're, like, very philosophical sci-fi books. Um, the, the last two books that he wrote, Dune 5 and 6, are start to get a little weird. I think, like... Mr. Herbert starts to fantasize about uh, what if 
what if there was sex so good it wasn't even invented yet? And that's kind of what those books are about. Like, what if what if humanity left the galaxy and came back and they learned, like, sex to the sequel to sex? Uh, and he's, he gets, like, very focused on that. Um, but to be clear, everyone, even the worst fanfic smut you've ever read is, like, sexier than what Frank Herbert is writing. Oh, yeah, it's not sexy. It's not meant to be sexy. It's, like, very scientific. Uh, questions about sex sex is kind of described and implied in the book but in like a really sterile medical way five and six are fine if you really like one through four go ahead and read them but if you're not feeling it by then probably worth a skip uh i've been reading the expanse series by james s.a Corey. i've only read the first three it's a more realistic and i'm putting that in quotes sci-fi series it like all happens in our solar system um it's been very good so far i like the first three uh i've recently read the road and blood meridian by cormac mccarthy uh they are really distinctly not feel-good books so don't go in expecting that but i think they're they're well written and very engaging um and then also uh, The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss and the sequel The Wise Man's Fear are both my two favorite fantasy books, but I don't know if I can recommend them because I don't think he's ever going to finish the trilogy. I'll be a little shocked if he does. Uh, so if, if that is not something uh, that you want to start a series that probably won't be finished, I would just stay away from that one. And then I'm going to read War and Peace, probably starting within the next few days uh, against Emily's wishes. But I think it's a journey that I want to take. How many people's names am I going to have to learn from War and Peace to like be able to communicate with you? Can you just listen to the prologue from Natasha Pierre in the Great Comet of 1812 and tell me if I've got enough people from there to be able to converse with you? Maybe. I don't know that I'm going to talk to you about War and Peace a whole lot in terms of like actual plot points and characters. I might describe like themes. Sam! You talk to me about Dune all the time. All right, let's get something out of the way. Dune rocks cock. War and Peace, I think, is not going to be as good as Dune. Uh, also, the Dune movie is incredible and takes up a lot of space in my mind every day. Uh, so, like, I have a lot more Dune thoughts. Okay. Noted. Putting Writing it down in my How to Be a Good Girlfriend notebook. <laughs> So those were boy books. Oh, also, real quick, I don't think there's going to be any big worm moments in War and Peace, so I won't have to talk to you about that. That's true. You do be talking to me about the big worm from from Dune. Okay, I have little, little girly book recs. Here we go. These are all hateful coworker or at least coworker romances. Um, Weather Girl by Rachel Lynn Solomon, same author as the X Talk. 
She works as a weather girl for at a news station in the Pacific Northwest. She falls for a coworker. They work for a news station where the two lead anchors used to be married and now they hate each other. And it's very messy. I remember really liking it, though. But it was also very strange. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about Rachel Lynn Solomon's books. But I did enjoy it when I read it. I think... I think I'm having a little bit of a taking the rose-colored glasses off in terms of these romance books because I think they're really fun when you read them once, but when you have to reread them, you're kind of like, oh. Um, so that one's pretty good. Love on the Brain by Allie Hazelwood. Same author as The Love Hypothesis. This book is fun. Something, okay, a bonus, I'm going back to Weather Girl. A bonus of Weather Girl is that they are truly co-workers. No one becomes the other's boss. Love on the Brain, we have a little bit of a boss-inferior employee situation that's very messy and not very good. Um, However, it is, like, very typical Allie Hazelwood. Everyone's pretty human. It's pretty horny. There's a lot more sex in it than there is in The Love Hypothesis, if that's what you're into. Um, and Allie Hazelwood writes, like, pretty inoffensive smut. Like, it's very regular. Are there any unicorn socks moments? God, fuck no. She's a lot... <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a lot more normal of a book. Okay. The unicorn socks are very, like... I'm stuck in 2013 in a way I really don't like. They're kind of Tumblr. It is. But, like, anyone who's getting their fanfiction, their Kylo Ren fanfiction published, is, like, very Tumblr. Yeah, that's true. Um, the next two are both building-related. Um, the second, the first one is called Love at First Spite by Anna E. Collins. This girl's fiancé dumps her, and so she buys the empty lot next to the house that he bought with the woman he cheated on her with and he she's building a really um beautiful house that blocks the view that he bought the house for which so she buys this house and then convinces an architect at the firm that she works at to help her build it and then they fall in love and the miscommunication in that book is that she did not tell him that the guy who lived next door was her ex-fiance mm-hmm. So that's, like, the messiness is, like, she's falling in love with the new architect, but, like, also, like, actively the reason that they are spending a lot of time together is so she can spite her shitty fiancé. Um, but I liked that one. I thought it was cute. I read it last year. I It was fun. Um, I don't know if it, fourth wreck, last wreck, and then you don't have to listen to me ramble anymore is Tools of Engagement by Tessa Bailey. It's the second book in a series. Um, Tessa Bailey writes really good smut. It's, like, pretty blatantly horny pretty early on, though, which is different than some of the other ones, which really is... Like, a lot of the books that we read this month were, like, one-crease books (laughs) in terms of number of creases in the spine. Um, But Tessa Bailey writes... 
write smutty books. This month starts early and then kind of, like, is really peppered throughout. This one is about a girl who's trying to convince her family to let her take a bigger role at their company. And she has to hire on a crew to renovate a house. And the guy she hires on is her hateful coworker, except he's, like, her employee? So that's kind of messy. And that's the major issue, I think, with this, this formula, like, this type of romance is, like, is there a way to do it without having really bad power dynamics? Uh, yes. There is. We read one. I don't think it should be that hard to, like, write this kind of book and not make one of them the other's boss. And, like, if you're gonna, like, read whatever you want in terms of, like, smut. Like, if that's something you're into, if you want, like, a, if you want to read, like, a boss secretary fantasy, God, go read, like, a thousand words of smut in whatever fandom you want to. <laughs> but, like, pretending that this isn't, like, a bad power dynamic like well and then for the i guess companies to like just push it as hard as they can on tiktok you know as like yeah this is this cute romance well and like i think that's why i'm saying the like read your fan fiction thing is like that is so sorry i'm yawning guys i'm very tired that is so blatantly horny. Like, it's very obvious that it's, like, a porno situation in the way that, like, a pizza guy showing up at the door and her being like, I don't have anything to tip you with. What if I... And then she, like, blows him. Like, like that is the equivalent in, a in like, a smut version. Whereas, like, all that books like this do, where it's, like, a full book where it's cute and everyone is raving about it, is, like, tell people that, like, imbalance, imbalances of power in the office are, like, comfortable and good. Yeah. Do you think that there's a market for uh, books that are written like these, but it is it is kind of like a standoffish pizza delivery guy romance? So... <laughs> Do you think we could do you no. think we could adapt that trope? It could like, oh, I I lost my wallet. I don't have any way to pay you. And he's like, oh, well, uh, do you want to get coffee sometime? Do you think there's a market for that? What's happening in this situation? We're the pizza guy yeah. is asking out the woman who can't pay him? No. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing. The reason that, that doesn't <laughs> the reason that, that doesn't work is because there is no situation in which a low-income worker does not fucking hate the person who doesn't have the money to tip them. Well, we're just, we're adapting the, 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 the porn version of this. It doesn't have to be believable. It's just like, how do we get, how do we get the people who wouldn't watch pizza delivery guy porn to engage with the pizza delivery guy trope? And I think we have to, like, take the sex out of it somehow. No, 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 no. That's why we're talking about, like, an a thousand-word fanfic. Mm. Is like, like, if you're just gonna read smut, then read smut. Like, the reason... I don't know. I think we're getting off track. 
I think someone should write this book. I would read it. I think I think people would read it. What book? Give me the plot. Give me the plot. Okay. So, you know, it starts out, she orders pizza. She realizes she doesn't have her wallet. He he shows up. She's like, oh, I don't have any way to pay you. And you're like, oh, well, they're going to have sex. This is like the pizza guy delivery porn plot. You know, they do it in like sitcoms, basically. Uh-huh. It's so popular. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. So famous. Um, but instead, he's like, oh, well, I don't want to have sex with you. I want to get to know you. And then it's like a slow burn getting to know the the Uber Eats delivery guy sort of situation. I don't have plot beyond that. Maybe, maybe, maybe the pizza shop is going out of business because uh, no one is paying for pizzas. This guy just keeps trying to take women on dates. I don't know. I'm not an author. No, that's fascinating. I deeply would not read that. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that if it had a like pastel color uh, cover with the same art style that all the people in these books are drawn um, and a catchy name, I think you might read it. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, everyone, I can't stop yawning. We have to stop recording. I forgot to do this last week, but please follow us on Instagram at English Majors Pod. Thank you to Bailey for running the Instagram. Thank you to Devin for recording our theme music. Congratulations on passing your master's recital. Hell yeah. Um, and thank you, Sam, for coming on this month. Of course. As if I do not speak to you enough. <laughs> um, love you so much. Um... Send us an email at englishmajorspod at gmail.com if you have thoughts to say. Um, Please write a review on Apple Podcasts or rate us on Spotify. And we'll see you next week. We'll start with my friend Emma. We're doing um, old flame romances. And we're starting with Beach Read. Anyway. Talk to you guys later. Sam, do you have anything you want to add? Uh, Go see Barbie and Oppenheimer in theaters, preferably on the same day, double feature. Let's juice those numbers. Absolutely. Okay, bye, everybody.